the one, the only, the classic Halloween. Halloween night. A small American town, 15 years ago. trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. And totally charted. Just Sure, sure. The only reason she babysits is to have Halloween. Welcome to Slash, a horror movie podcast. In season one of Slash, we will be covering every movie in the Halloween film franchise, starting with the original 1978 John Carpenter classic and ending with the 2022 Halloween Ends. Or does it? Slash is available everywhere podcasts can be found. You can follow Slash on Twitter at Slash Horror and you can find every episode of Slash at fansnotexperts.com forward slash slash. Enjoy the show. And remember, it's fun to be scared. Hello and happy Friday, horror fans, and welcome to the first episode in a new venture, a new podcast, a new uh, some a new creative outlet for me to uh, sit here and talk about some of my favorite and probably least favorite horror and slasher movie franchises. Uh, just to give you an idea of who I am, my name is Mikey. C. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Geek Mentality. If you've ever listened to any of my other podcasts, all available at fansnotexperts.com, you would come to see that I am, I basically do a pretty laid back format, uh, mostly when it comes to podcasts. It's just free form talking and thinking with little rehearsal, no rehearsal little um, planning, some notes, sometimes, sometimes no notes, uh, and just kind of 
most of the time without a guest. Most of the time it's just me talking. So if you don't mind one voice talking about something, uh, then, oh boy, am I the podcaster for you. Now, who knows? This, If everything goes right, this podcast is going to last for many, many, many episodes, many weeks, many years. And um, we may have, you know, guests down the line. There's certainly people people I think of when I think of these slasher movies. Uh, mostly I think of my brother because a lot of these we went to uh, as a kid. As kids. I think my dad would take us to to some of these movies. Uh, I'm almost positive my dad took us to see Halloween 4. Maybe not Halloween 5. Maybe both. I know Halloween 6. Look, I, I we're going to be mostly focusing on the original Halloween, but... Um, Obviously, in the weeks to come, we'll be seeing, we'll be talking about movies that I haven't seen in years, uh, and some movies that I've never seen at all. There are three movies in this franchise that I, or I guess we'll call it all a franchise, even the remakes, the reboots, the relaunches, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's one big movie franchise, and we're doing it in release order. And there are three movies on this list that I have never seen and I'll be seeing for the first time. Um, but my, my dad would take us to these movies as kids. I, I remember seeing Nightmare on Elm Street 3. I remember seeing Child's Play. I don't think I was emotionally, well, no, that's probably not true. I, I Emotionally, I'm probably at the same maturity level that I am. Let's just say I, I peaked a long time ago. Uh, but I grew up with these movies in a lot of the times they weren't scary. They were fun. They were gory. They made you hide your hands behind your, you know, your, your, hide your face behind your hands. Uh, but you weren't always really scared. It was almost like going on a, a, a roller coaster where you, it was thrills. It was thrilling. But some of these movies um, were just downright scary. A lot of the time it was the first one or your first experience. You know, my first experience um, to slasher movies really isn't Halloween. And we'll have to save that for another time, another season, for the next season of um, of Slash. But there was, a, there was a point, I remember, where I, I think I started appreciating movies. Like I could tell the difference between a good movie and a bad movie. And I loved this original Halloween. Uh, it's funny because it's not overly gory. It's not really gory at all. I mean, there's some blood and it, it does have that, what became kind of the rule of slasher movies where, uh, you know, you have the, um, you have some nudity, you have some drugs, and and those those kids get killed, uh, and you have the good girl who 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 survives or or is your hero. Uh, I'm not sure that Halloween is the first slasher movie. You think about it. I mean, you can go back to to Psycho, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm not sure if that's considered a slasher movie or just like out-and-out out horror, uh, you think of there's... And then there's the one-off. And those all became franchises, so guess what? Someday, we'll be going through a lot of those movies, too. Or all of those movies. But 
um, I think of like, you know, Black Christmas. I always, I'm, I don't always, but I've seen a lot of places where it says this is the, it's kind of the template. This was the first uh, horror movie, but it's not a franchise. So um, there wouldn't be a full season on Black Christmas, but I do plan on doing one-off bonus extra episodes for certain, you know, calendar-related, let's just say, uh, one-off horror movies. And you could say, well, 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 Mike, um, next Friday is Friday the 13th. Yeah, I didn't think that through very well, did I? Huh? No, I didn't think, I didn't plan it on the calendar when I wanted to start this show. I wanted to start it off with a bang. And so, Mike, you should have started at Halloween. Yeah, that's true also, but I didn't think of this until uh, December. I thought, you know, and I'm not sure if there's even a, like, I looked for a horror movie called Slash, a horror podcast called Slash. I found things that were like hack and slash and slash and this and slasher, but not just slash. So I immediately created the podcast, threw up a, a quick little uh, trailer, and then said, okay, now I need to start producing content. And here I am, uh, the night before the first episode's going out. Yes, uh, it's a Thursday night, but you're getting these episodes every Friday until I screw up, and then all of a sudden they come out on a Saturday. But my my goal is to have these come out every week, every Friday, and I don't expect them to be terribly long. You know, this one might be a little longer just because I'm I'm kind of giving the old preamble of who I am and what you can expect. Um, I don't expect them to be, you know, all that long. Sometimes I may talk longer. Sometimes they may be a half hour. Sometimes they may be longer. But I can't imagine them being these epic long podcasts. I do a, a show called Stranger Danger, which is a Stranger Things podcast. It's a recap podcast that started off very much like this, where I, you know, I took some notes, I talked, I watched the episode, and that was it. And it kind of evolved into this long, very long free form, very detailed, where I just, I go beat by beat through the episode. I play clips from the show. So it's very, it's, it's very planned out. It's written out, uh, all these clips and songs that are played in the show. I try to, you know, I try to kind of do almost like a visual, visual movie. Uh, and that's not going to be this, this show is going to be very kind of, I, I take quick little notes, like I'm a court, uh, stenographer. Is that what they're called? Except Google Pat, Google Docs is my uh, stenography machine. I don't know what the hell they use. What are those things called? You know, then I spend 20 minutes trying to figure out what a stenographer uses. Those little typewriter with the stupid keyboard. I don't know what they're called. But that is kind of what the show is going to be. I'm going to be a court stenographer. I don't know where the hell I was going with that. What it's going to be is there'll be notes. There'll be me talking. But it's going to be pretty much like, you know, I'm all over the place but focusing my all over the placeness on one thing. And that one thing is uh, the movie in question, which today is the original, the one that I, I'm not going to say again, it may not be the first slasher movie, but it really did start the big slasher movement of sequels, right? Now, you'd think I would do any planning, but... This came out in 78. Then three years later, uh, Halloween 2 comes out. Now, for you, Halloween 2 comes out next week. Get ready. 
But I'm trying to think, 1980 is when Friday the 13th came out. A couple of years later, before we get the first um, Elm Street. I don't know when Friday the 13th 2 came out, but it, it seemed like at, one, at some point they said, oh my God, there's money to be made in these movies because A, they don't cost that much. We don't have uh, any. We don't need any real stars. The star is the the uh, you know the anonymous dude behind the mask, and B, um, they make a lot of money. Kids go see them. But here's the the one thing that is different with Halloween is well I see, I know I say that it doesn't matter, but look at Nightmare on Elm Street. It was all one guy until they you know they brought in uh, Kelly Leak from Bad News Bears. Uh, Friday the thirteenth could have been anybody, but in in Halloween it wasn't about the the it was about the killer, but it was also the people who hunted him. It was the the story around the killer, and you know the story that got built up and added to and and then got torn down, uh, and then got Rob Zombavi. First got Rob Zombavi, then got torn down and kind of brought back to its base level. Uh, for a final trilogy, which, again, is this movie, is this season, this first season, this 13-week season, if I have that right? Um, 12 or 13? I forget exactly. But is this uh, the end, the real end? Is Halloween Ends the actual end? I don't know. Who knows? By the time this is done, we may have, you know, an addition. Uh, But right now, the big three, when I think of the big three, I think of Halloween, Friday, and Nightmare. They're dormant, except, well, Halloween just finished. That's has been really the most active over the decades. It is the most, it seems to be the most beloved because they just keep doing it and redoing it. And, you know, both the other franchises got remakes, but they didn't go anywhere. And, you know, it's tough with, with Freddy because Robert England isn't getting any younger. But again, I'm I'm getting all, I'm going too far. I'm talking about weeks and months in, in advance when I really focus on them. Let's talk about Halloween 1978. This movie at one time I think was considered the most successful independent film of all time. It might have been up until Blair Witch, which was like, you know, I think it cost the amount of a camcorder and like six VHS tapes or something. This movie uh, had a budget of $325,000, which in 2023 numbers, at least according to uh, Google, is about $1.48 million, which is not... Which is, I mean, I would love to have that, but it it that still feels like a really small budget for a movie and we're talking you know 45 years ago uh $325,000 that is really a shoestring budget and on that budget now box office mojo just says it made 47 million 160 dollars 160,000 dollars 47 million on a budget of you know next to nothing as far in in movie you know, word movie land is incredible. That is a humongous success. Uh, but it, it actually made, according to the numbers.com made 23 million on the international box office. So $70 million 
uh, for a movie that cost $325,000. According to the numbers, it says adjusting for box office, that is $231,457,751. 216 times the production budget. That is a smashing success. And like, yes, it was a low budget movie, but it also was, I'm going to talk about, you know, as, as I kind of go through things, how simple it is. There's very little need for special effects. You know, there are effects in this. There are different things that need to be done, but it's very, uh, very minute. It's a, so much like simplicity, um, where it's just, you're looking at something and there it's like, it's not a ton happening. There's not a ton of action, but it is just so effective in what it does. I mean, obviously there's a reason why they keep making these movies over and over again. Even when they're not huge box office hits, they're still making money. Uh, you know, I think four and five still made money, uh, you know, in Three, I don't know what the hell was going on there, but three, I know at a t- at a time, like over time, has become kind of a beloved cult movie. It's just its own thing, like literally, it's its own thing. And I know at the time they thought, you know, this is what we're going to do now. We're just going to keep doing these things, call them Halloween. Uh, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I- I- I'll be interested to see the decline in box office, yet still enough for them to continue to make these movies. Where the, where they go with production, you know, like, like right away, this is Mustafa Akkad, uh, and I I feel like the Akkad family stays with them for a long time, but it'll be just interesting to see how things change over the years as far as the, co- the production companies and the box office uh, and, you know, obviously the budgets. The budgets will go up even if the box office will go down. And then, you know, this new trilogy, obviously the first one I think did gangbusters and then the final two just got completely affected by by COVID, you know, and and the the ability to watch at home. But again, I'm jumping ahead, weeks and weeks ahead. So this movie, uh, you know, People loved it at the time, and I thought, you know what? I wonder if this is on the AFI 100. I mean, this is, it's an American film. It is, uh, maybe it's on some list of independent films. It's not on the top 100, like the main AFI 100 best American-made films, but it is number 68 in AFI's 100 years, 100 thrills list. So it's... There's a bunch of movies in there that didn't quite make their best movies because obviously the top 100 has not just horror and, and comedy and, you know, it has everything. Uh, whereas this, but it's weird because the AFI 100 Thrills is not really, it's not horror. It's horror and thrills because Jaws is in there, which you can go back and forth, but Rocky's in there and that's not scary at all. I mean, Polly's apartment isn't great, um, but, or his house and the way he treats his sister, but I wouldn't call it a a, a thrill thriller. So I don't know. It's and maybe it's just thrills. I don't know how that would work. It wouldn't be a horror movie though. But you know what is 
Halloween. And I feel like I've been talking for a while and not really getting into it. So the movie itself, I haven't watched since Halloween 2021 when I actually, funny enough, did another podcast on it for uh, another show that I'm a co-host of called Fine Movies. Fine Spirits, you can find it everywhere podcasts are available or at fans.experts.com. It's me and two of my longtime friends as we go through uh, movies, and that one has a lot of uh, sound clips put in uh, to give you kind of a, the ambiance of the film. Uh, but it's three guys who have known each other very long, and we, you know, the language is crass. The way we treat each other is not always great, um, but that's that's part of the fun, I think. In fact, I think that is the most fun. Uh, but also watching and talking about fantastic movies, including John Carpenter's Halloween. This was, um, as I said, directed by John Carpenter, co-written by John Carpenter and the late Deborah Hill, produced by Deborah Hill, and starring Donald Pleasance and Jamie Lee Curtis and some other people. Um, what I what I love is, you know, I'm just going to talk about the movie itself now, watching the movie, how it made me feel watching it again for the first time in a little over a year. I love right away, you're brought right into it. And, you know, we know that the story went out. We know that a, a young boy uh, kills his sister and grows up to become, you know, this empty shell, this, em- this evil, this, the shape, you know, that's, that's um, I think even in the first movie, it's credited as, but they show young, they, they credit Michael Myers anytime you saw the face. And then the guy in behind the mask is the shape. The shape. The shape of evil. But when you first watch it the first time, you see, you're seeing the, the point of view of someone walking towards a house. You're seeing these two teenagers uh, necking. Isn't that what they call it? Necking in the house. Uh, and then they go upstairs. Now, they, Judith Myers is supposed to be 15 years old. Um, so this is very wildly inappropriate, but while we see these kids kissing and then go upstairs, someone's looking through the window, they go around into the house. And I love that at this point you have no inkling that this is a child, nothing. Uh, we see the, the, the door open. We, we, we're just following the POV. Now, I don't know if this is the first movie to have, this can't be the first movie to have the POV of a killer. Um, what I love is John Carpenter uses this again in the thing. He uses kind of the POV of, of something. Um, and I mean, hell, we've seen, haven't we seen the POV of a shark? Yeah, we've seen the POV of a shark back in 1975, also available at fine movies, fine spirits, as well as the thing. Um, but I wonder the behind the mask kind of killer, um, POV, how many times that's been done or the first time that's been done be interesting hey you can you can tweet me at slash horror at slash horror if you want to uh answer that question you know the first pov horror killer um but anyway we don't even know we see the killer we see the the go for the knife and we see it kind of hide back now the camera is fairly low, so maybe people are starting to understand. But it, it's not until you see the little arm reach for the clown mask that you're like, I'm sorry, is that a small child's arm? What the hell are we dealing with here? And, um, you know, he goes up these stairs, 
and you you see boobies again now judith myers the actors i'm assuming was well of age so i'm not looking at anything inappropriate just you know i mean it's inappropriate to see a boy seeing his sister but this comes in i think this comes into play later he sees his sister um you know after coitus this by the way this went by like two minutes that kid was really out of there he was you know bing bang boom i'm out of here see you later judy and didn't even notice the little boy with the knife standing two feet from him. Now, I never quite understood, did Michael Myers, was he punishing his sister because of her, you know, being with a boy, for having sex? Or was it just, um, you know, I'm ready, it's time, you're the first, you're, you're the person I know. I... Never really thought about it all that much. Um, but, you know, why then? Why his sister? Were there specific things that happened to make him, you know, decide that? Did he, was he off trick-or-treating before he got home? Like, was he having a fun time? Who were the kids that were trick-or-treating with him? Like, what was Michael Myers before you know, what was he two weeks ago? Was he always this quiet kid? His parents seemed a little shocked when he got home. I don't know. But he, and even she's like, Michael, what are you doing? You know, you, I mean, first of all, close your door. But she's not frightened of someone sneaking up behind her because it's her little brother. And then boom, he just starts hacking away. At one point, he looks at the knife. Now, that's obviously for the camera effect. He needs to look at, the, we need to see the knife. But for some reason, Michael's like, there's the knife, and here it goes. Slash, slash, slash. And again, it's scary, it's bloody, but it's not overly gory. You know, there's blood here. Um, I'm trying to think, where else? do We, we don't really see much blood. Uh, there's, there's scary, there's killing, but the gore is really low. And again, is that by choice? Is that by budget? You think about, you know, when when John Carpenter gets a little bit of a budget later on, he goes crazy with, with weird alien gory effects. Here, very subtle. Uh, Michael goes outside, his parents are there, and then they just, and I know this is necessary for the shot, but he, the father goes, Michael! They take the mask off, and you're like, oh my God, it's a little kid. And then they pull away, and his parents and him just stand there. And they just stand there. And they just stand there. And boom. We then uh, jump 15 years to the future where Dr. Loomis is going to see it with a nurse. Now, the nurse, I believe, came back in Halloween Kills. Same actress, I believe. Um, And she's like, they're talking to each other. And, you know, she's like, shouldn't you call him, refer to him as him? And uh, Dr. Loomis is like, if you, if you'd like, we see Dr. Loomis. We meet this man who uh, says it's been 15 years. Now, we kind of learn more about Dr. Loomis throughout this movie. Uh, but you just, you must remember, he is a doctor, not a police officer, not a security officer, not a parole officer, not a state trooper. 
not anyone trained in any sort of uh, protection or law enforcement. He's a freaking doctor. I believe he's just a psychiatrist, right? He's, or is a psychologist. He, or maybe he's a medical doctor. I don't know. He's a doctor. That's what you have to remember. It seems like the whole town forgets that this guy is just a doctor. Uh, and he is, is he supposed to be the nemesis? Is he supposed to be the um, the Van Helsing of, of Michael Myers Frankenstein? Because in this film, he does so little, so very little. And we're going to talk about that. But... There's actually, maybe he would have done more if there was a scene that was deleted where he's in front of a medical board and I think he's talking to the these doctors about Michael Myers and they show him and he goes and visits uh, a young Michael in a hospital and you see like Michael turn his head or maybe Michael just staring ahead in a chair and it's a couple of years later uh, and then it cuts to him with the nurse. But that's a deleted scene that is only in the uh, TV version, you know, sometimes television would add in um, scenes that were cut so that they could fill time and time things right or so that they could adjust for things that needed to be removed, you know, certain scenes with Linda and Bob, perhaps, um, or if things need to be trimmed here or there, you need to make up some of that time. And it can't just be in commercials. So that's where they pull in some uh, deleted scenes, including this one that I'm talking about, where Loomis and it's on YouTube. You can you can read that that scene on on you on um, YouTube, and it it's deleted for a reason. It's not really that necessary. It's just cool to see. I didn't see it for the first time until last year. But Loomis is in the car. They're going to see Michael, and I guess um, have him before a board to make sure he never gets out uh the, he's like we're gonna you know put him in front of some sort of review board and because the nurse is like what do i do she's like you gotta pump him with thorazine uh and he's real kind of a dick to this nurse like he's really he's got no patience he's got no patience for law enforcement no patience for for nurses he's not into first responders at all uh we notice him look at the nurses smoking because you know, nurse smoking in a car and a nurse back then, no big deal. I think it was part of that. That could have been like a, you know, everyone smoked in cars in, in 1978. I feel like smoking was a prerequisite. I remember when I was a kid, I thought, oh, when I get older, I'm, I'm going to smoke because that's what adults do. Uh, and um, hold on, I need to go take a cigarette break. I'm kidding. I don't smoke. Anyway, we see a rabbit in red matchbook. And of course, this comes into play a little later. Now they focus on it. I, a lot of you people know this because you've seen the movie, but um, I'm watching it. I'm trying to watch it with a different eye. So I'm f they focus on it. I go, okay, they focus on the matchbook. There's got to be a reason why he's looking at that. See, I like looking at movies sometimes. You know, I like watching movies, but I like looking at them when I rewatch them to see why are we doing this. There's certain times in this movie where John Carpenter lingers on a shot, like this, where the girls are walking away, and it's still going. And I'm thinking, okay, why are we still there? Why didn't they edit this? Something's going to happen. But then it doesn't. So I'm wondering, is it is it trying to subvert its own film language to throw me off, to make me think something's going to happen? Or is it just 
that over the years I'm used to seeing something, if it's lasting that long, that means something is going to happen or you, you expect something to happen. And I just hit the microphone. Um, but I don't know. I just, I love this movie and the choices it makes and the, and the, the keen editing or lack thereof or lingering on shots or back things in the background. It's just, it is so masterfully done. And I can't wait to talk about the ending. Um, the ending, which I think the first couple times, or or I didn't remember until seeing it last year, that how this ending was so freaking effective. So obviously they get to uh, the 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 hospital, and there's never any explanation in this movie, so uh, maybe never, of what happened. How did they? How all of a sudden, why were there, you know, um, patients all over the grounds and this car pulls up and, you know, their, their car pulls up, they get out for some reason, they get out of the car, or at least Loomis does all of a sudden, Michael Myers, I love the stingers with the music. He jumps on the top of the car and boom, he attacks the nurse, slaps the window. Uh, the nurse is freaking out. She jumps out of the car and. Um, he gets into the car and drives off. Now, he's six years old when he goes into the hospital. But remember when you were a little kid, you saw your dad drive. You said, I could do that. I, I know the basics of it. Maybe I'm not good at it. Mind you, he is excellent at it because Michael Myers is a student of, of life. Um, but I remember like being maybe not six but being a certain age where I'm like, I think I could do this. And you probably could, you don't know, like maybe the intricacies of how to break and how much to hit on the gas, but boom, he picks up on it right away. And the evil, the evil is gone. You know, this great, you're a great doctor talking about the evil, you know, about all, all these, like you think about doctors, real doctors, not movie doctors and being like, you know, this is a, he's a um, product of his situation, his upbringing, um, you know, he's, he has an imbalance, chemical imbalance. He's on medication, but, but Loomis is like, no, he's evil. He's pure evil. The evil, the evil is gone. Ooh, great. Well, don't let anybody know Loomis just kind of, you know, do your own thing for a while. So we cut away from, um, nighttime and boom in today time. It is Halloween day and it is uh, Haddonfield. And I just, I wrote down, I love the subtlety. I'm not even sure where the subtlety is, but it's just the real basic kind of a girl walking from school. Like, it just looks nice. It looks like um, <clears throat> middle America. Everyone's happy. It's suburbia. You know, all the it's a place where the neighbors wave to and everything. And Laurie's dad is a... Uh, is the um, and this is back when Laurie Strode is Laurie Strode. There is no that's your step parents. There is no she's a Myers. There's none of that that got built up and then got stripped away by uh, by the the recent movies, right? So well, right now, as far as we're concerned, that's Laurie Strode and that's Laurie Strode's dad. He's a realtor. And he's like, you need to go drop something off at the Myers place. 
she, uh, while she's heading over there, she sees young Tommy, who she's babysitting that night. Tommy, who's been in several Halloween movies, always a different actor. Sometimes he looks like Paul Rudd. Sometimes he looks like Anthony Michael Hall. Here, he just looks like Tommy. Uh, he's like, wait, why are you walking this way? She's like, I need to drop something off at the Myers house. He's like, no, 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 no. He does not want to be walking by the Myers house. He, has, he wants nothing to do with that. Um, but what's cool is he's already there. Like, it would have been, like, I don't know where the car is. I should have paid attention. Is the car parked on the street? Because I love when you see the car. here. In fact, there's certain points where I'm like, oh, is that the, oh, no, that's a different station wagon. Oh, that's a different car. But Michael's already in the house. He's already, um, and I'm wondering, does he have the mask yet? Does he have the mask at this point? He's in the house. You can hear him. He's like, breathing, and he's just standing there. And then he comes out, and what I love is he has no social cues. You know, you'd say, why would he just stand there? You don't, don't look at it like that's stupid that he would stand there in broad daylight. Don't look at it like that. Look at it like what kind of a person would stand out there in broad daylight in a mask? What kind of person would do that? And why is he wearing a mask? Think about that. He put a mask on to kill his sister. It's like he needs, maybe it's shame. Maybe it's, he has to, he has to, he doesn't feel like himself until the mask is on. Now he feels free to be able to do stuff. I don't know. I feel like there's, there's definitely something, and something specific to this mask, because boy, does he love keeping up with this. It's not just any mask. It's like he found one he really likes. You know, as a kid, it was a clown. But later on, he's like, you know what? I love this mask. And of course, the mask is famous because it was a William Shatner mask, painted it white, cut the eye holes out a little, uh, toughed up the hair, and boom, all of a sudden, it is a mask scary for Halloween. You know, nowadays, you see that and you say, it's a Michael Myers mask. I don't know what you called it back then. Maybe they still called it the Michael Myers mask, but you see it now. It is synonymous with Michael Myers. Seeing it for the first time in this movie, it it is haunting because of its simplicity, because it's spooky. You can't see the eyes. You just see this this like ghost-like figure just staring at you. And it is so effective in its in its simplicity. That with the um with the the outfit he wears. It's so 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 beautiful. So beautiful. So we jump over to Loomis, and um, he's... Now, this is something interesting. I tweeted this out yesterday at Slash Horror. Loomis is parked in a handicapped parking space at the hospital. He's talking He's talking to one of the, the doctors about where he thinks Michael's heading to Haddonfield, and he's like, Haddonfield's so far away. He doesn't know how to drive, and Loomis is like, well, they look pretty... He, Looked pretty damn good driving last night because he was driving last night because he can drive and oh boy, can he drive. Uh, we then cut over to Lori in school and the talk, the teacher talking about fate catching up with you, something about fate. Now, all of a sudden, she looks out the window daydreaming and you see Michael just standing there in the middle of the day. Nobody notices or cares. And I, and I wrote down it, you know, it's, it's kind of silly when you think about it, but it's also awesome. And I'm, I'm looking at it not at the silly point. I'm looking at it like, who is this psychopath that would stand there like that in this mask? You know, what the hell is going on? And 
this is one of the things that always made me love Halloween so much is that it wasn't just, um, you know, uh-oh, it's nighttime. We meet, you know, watch out, here comes the killer. It was like, no, I'm here in the middle of the day and I'm checking you out because I'm a creep. Now, another thing that I was thinking about in this movie is why is he following this girl? And my only conclusion is that he, it, it makes, he, it's the first girl he saw. It makes him think, reminds him of his sister. And who did she see him with the first time? Tommy. And Tommy maybe reminds him of himself. And he has this weird thing where he does not go after these kids. He does not go after any kids, but he will go after the teenagers. Maybe the kids, again, are the innocence of reminding him of himself. And I love also, it's a simple movie, but there are choices that were made, and I love analyzing them. Even if they make no sense, even if John Carpenter didn't mean it at all, it happened. So I love trying to come up with reasons for him. Uh, and maybe, you know, Tommy reminded him of, you know, little him, little innocent him. So that's why he never, he doesn't kill any kids in this, in any movie, right? I'm, if I'm correct, right? There's no, there's no child murder. You know, just, you know, old young teenagers, old, old kids, not the little kids. Um, but we see Tommy at school. He's getting bullied by these little pricks, including dumb Lonnie. Um, and I love that one of them runs right into Michael. Michael grabs him. Kid freaks out and uh, runs the other way, but he doesn't tell anyone, oh, there's a dude in a mask, you know? But apparently stealing a mask isn't a big deal in Haddonfield. Uh, but Tommy, Michael does get in the car and he is following um, Tommy a little bit. And I wrote down it was because he was near his house. Like, is he simple-minded where it's like, you are people that came to my house. Now I am... You know, you're the first real people I came across. Now I must follow you and figure out what to do with you. Or is it, you know, you remind me of my kids. Um, but, you know, I said these, maybe he just got fixated on them because they were the first people he saw near his house. So we cut over to Loomis. He's on a payphone, And I don't know how, if it was just luck, dumb luck, but he gets off the payphone. I think he was calling the police over in Haddonfield. Gets off the payphone. He's like, what's this over here? Oh, it's hop hospital gowns. And wouldn't you know it, there's the matchbook for Rabbit and Red, ma for um, the Rabbit and Red store, or, you know, whatever it is, the club. It's the matchbook that he had in the nurse's car. And uh, he sees all these hospital gowns. So we see a truck. We see hospital gowns. So he obviously took off what he had on. And Loomis is like, oh, man, I got to get out of here. What he doesn't do is turn three feet to the right and catch and find the dead body of a truck driver. So Loomis, boom, strike one. Uh, you let, you'll, A, you let Michael steal your car. That's strike one. Strike two, you didn't even find this body. Uh, and believe me, Loomis, you're not done yet. You make up for it in the end, but right now you're, uh, you're, you're not doing a great job. So we jump over to the school. Laurie's with her friends, Linda and Annie, and uh, they're smoking. And it was like, again, I'm bringing up smoking. Remember when smoking was cool? Damn it. There's a, pro there's a reason why uh, people think smoking looks cool. It's because smoking looks cool. It's just that it's a terrible habit that will kill you. But like I think of, uh, you know, um, Dice Clay doing the smoke around his head. No! Or... Um, 
you know, good fellas are always smoking and talking. I don't know. I don't know. Like if if smoking was good for you, I'd be smoking right now because God damn it, it looks so cool. I know it doesn't. I know I'm kind, it's kind of tongue in cheek, kind of tongue in cheek. Though I did buy fake cigarettes specifically to go on a Zoom with some previous coworkers because I wanted them to see like this is what happened to me after you left work. I wore like a winter cap, a black winter cap, sunglasses indoors, and I had a fake cigarette hanging out of my mouth. And I was just laid back and it, it, it was, it worked. It was quite effective and it was worth the $4 that I pay for these cigarettes on Amazon. Um, anyway, she's with her friends. What was I talking about? Oh yeah. She's with her friends and we see Michael again. Now we see him driving by and I love this. It, I, I was trying to equate it to Jaws where you don't quite see the shark. You see the barrels. And I'm thinking, is this, it's almost the same way where you really don't see Michael for a while. You see, or you don't see him in action for a long while, but you see these little glimpses of of him just being like an observer of looking at people. Um, But here he's literally, I would assume he's kind of following them and he drives by and they're like, is that Devon Graham? And I wrote down Devon Graham because we never hear Devon Graham again. We do hear uh, Ben Tramer, his name comes up. Um, but Devon Graham, never again. And one of the friends, I think it's Annie, says, hey, jerk, speed kills. The, he slams on the brakes. And they're like, oh, man, can't you take a joke? He leaves. And um, I wrote down, Carpenter almost uses music like a trigger. Like when, and when he lingers, you, you expect something to happen. Like ding, ding, the music, when he lingers. I'm sorry, when I, this is, oh, this is the part when I, the, the girls are walking away at some point. And you just see them walking, and you see them walking. And at one point, I'm expecting the car to come by again, but nothing happens. That's when I was talking about him lingering on a shot, right? I call it like, is it like film language where why haven't we cut away yet? Something's going to happen here. And you'll notice it when you notice it in certain movies, it's like, uh-oh, that person, you know, they're looking across to their friends. Here they go to start crossing the street. And sometimes it's so blatant, boom, they get hit by a car. It is. That's become a really terrible trope where it's like, it's it's not even good language. It's just, oh my God, people look both ways. Or when you're in a car and you're, the camera's in the passenger seat and the driver, and the driver's looking at you, and you really, you're staying a long time on the driver and what's beyond the driver out their window, and you come to an intersection and now, boom, the car comes and hits them. Like that, that one has been used a lot in the few years. So here I'm thinking they're, they're, he's lingering on these, these girls walking along, but nope, they just keep on, keep on walking away. And then at one point, it's just uh, Annie and and Laurie, and another a fantastic, memorable shot of him just kind of peeking out of the bushes, like "Hi, it's me." And they're like, "What? Like, what the hell was that?" And of course, Annie doesn't see it. But then she runs up, and uh, she's not afraid. But by the time she gets there, he's already gone. Someone made a, a really funny video of like. Uh, replicating that shot and then when Annie's coming up Michael running as fast as he can to get out of the shot because there's certain magic movie magic where uh, one moment he's there the next moment he's not there um and I I always I always get a kick out of those things um but he oh um then Laurie is like walking away backwards because Annie goes off he's on it she's on her own 
she's looking away. And of course, there's that other thing where if you're looking the other direction, the moment you turn, you're going to bump into someone. And she bumps into Mr. Brackett. I, I think he's the sheriff. Uh, and he has a great line. Everyone's entitled to one good scare, which is just, it should be like on the poster. That is such a wonderful quote for this specific movie. So Laurie goes into the house, but before that, she sees a few trick-or-treaters already out there. And I was thinking to myself, when I was younger, trick-or-treating was in the dark. Now is a set time. You know, I was talking to my mom and I said, did we trick-or-treat later? She said, I just think there was no end. I think you can go as late as you wanted. So now it's five to seven in our town. The first hour, you know, from five to six, it's pretty light out. Then from six to seven, that's when, you know, it's spooky and ghoulish. But these kids are already trick-or-treating out in the daytime. And I remember as a kid going, what the hell are they doing trick-or-treating this early? But now I see it. I see it that way. Uh, So she goes into the house and we see another fantastic, memorable shot of Michael. He's out there folding and hanging the laundry on the line, but he's just standing there. All this beautiful white um, white sheets, and he's just standing there facing them, like looking. And what's crazy is you cut to her, and then you cut back, and he's gone. So where did he go? Did she blink and he moved? Did he just start walking away? I don't know, but I love it. Then the phone rings, and um, Laurie's like, hello? And you hear now, a horror movie, you think, oh, God, he's now the killer's calling. But A, there's no way Michael would, he probably knows how to use a phone, but there's no way he would know who that is, who her number is, what that is, or, or, or have access to a phone in 1978. So when the phone rings again, you realize it's one of her friends. She was like, didn't you hear me eating? You know, some, some of my notes are pretty much <clears throat> like, non sequiturs about the movie, but in the middle of nowhere. Um, I wrote down, this movie is so simple. Madman escapes, doctor's tracking him, he becomes obsessed with the, with a girl that reminds him of his sister, and, you know, he wants to kill anyone who gets in his way, I guess, right? Or just kill, he, he gets obsessed with a girl, but then he sees these other girls, and he's like, all right, I want to kill some people. I got to get it out of my system. Uh, but it's just, maybe the, obviously the, the story is a little more, it's not that simplified, but the execution of it is just so simple. You know, there's no real wasted plot. There's no, it's just bing, bang, boom. That's why when I, again, I saw that shot lingering, I thought something's going to happen here. Um, but it didn't, but we see a shot where Loomis goes to the cemetery. He wants to see Judith Meyer's grave. And again, Loomis, he's really, really um, taking his time. So he finds an abandoned truck with sheets, with a matchbook. He's like, oh, my God, um, Michael's, you know, he's been here and he's probably going to Haddonfield. Let me go to the cemetery? Like this, Loomis becomes a major part of future Halloween movies. But he is so, I almost want to say inept in this movie. Or like he's almost unnecessary, um, except at the very end, because he does nothing until the very, very end. And even that is like an accident, almost an accident. 
and, and I'll I'll explain it as we go along. Uh, again, this this podcast is going a lot longer than I thought it was going to. Uh, so maybe my shows will be long. I don't know. Some of them will be short, but this one, you know, this being the first one, this deserves uh, all the time I can give it. So I I I I thank you for for continuing to listen, and um, let's keep going. He he goes to the cemetery again. Why I don't know why he wants to see Judith Meyer's grave, and the the manager of the cemetery is like, you know, oh, there's some guy who uh, butchered his whole family, and Loomis just he doesn't care. I don't care. I've not any time for that. Shut up. He just he cuts him off, uh, and he, he what I love is um the, that he's just kind of a dick to him. And we see the grave. And I remember the first time I think I thought, oh, my God, he dug up her grave. And as a kid, I used to think that that the body was in what we see at the end. But that would be a well-preserved body. You realize he stole the headstone. There's no headstone to Judith Meyer's grave. So that, that little hole is just where the headstone was. And you realize, this kid, he's strong. Now, we're at the 30-minute mark in this movie. And I, again... I probably I probably said this the last time I watched it. I was surprised this movie's only 90 minutes. That's including the opening credits, uh, which is a minute and a half of just pure joy, uh, or about a minute. Then the ending credits, not very long, but you know, we're talking this movie is brisk, brisk and breezy. And I I so when I went to college, I started in film. Uh, didn't last that long. I moved over to computers. I said, what's nerdier than, com- than, than making film, making art? It's using computers. So, um, but I did take a screenwriting course. And in the class, we were to write a 30-minute um, script, a screenplay for a movie. Not a 30-minute movie, but the first 30 minutes of a movie. So I wrote this 30-page script. It really wasn't great. It was like, this guy breaks out of jail and uh, he, I, I forget, he breaks out of jail and there's a single mom and they, they're they going to meet up at the 30-minute mark and he, they're like, he's going to take them hostage, but then I think they fall in love. I don't know. I never got that far because it was just an exercise of the first half hour of a movie. But my teacher told me or gave me this, like, this... I always thought about this was when you're writing a movie, you try to get to the major plot point at 30 minutes. You call that plot point one. Then you'll notice in the next 30 minutes, another plot point will happen. And then the final 30 minutes is the finishing of this movie. Now, I tried to I try to look at this sometimes in different movies. Um, but oh, the cool part about the um, the screenplay was that, you know, I'm in college now. I can swear. And I was reading the F word in class and it was thrilling. Anyway, um, the 30-minute mark of this movie is um, Judith Meyer's headstone being taken. So it doesn't quite fit the formula of... Um, because, I mean, really think about it. It's like, boom, right away, something major happens. And then, you know, five minutes in, we've got a murder and we've got a, a, a prison escape. And then things slow down for a, oh, not prison, whatever, a, a hospital escape. But then things slow down and, and it becomes just a creep along, creepy, slowly, you know, um, uh, psychological type, you know, haunting thriller over the next, 
uh, I, w- I would say most of the movie until we get to like the very final 20 minutes or so. Uh, it's just a lot of like, oh my God, look out behind you. Oh, no, no, ooh, ah. And so um, we back to the movie, we, we leave the cemetery. Uh, for some reason, Loomis was there. He thought it was important. It really wasn't important. Now, what the headstone being stolen, that ends up playing into it. But Loomis discovering that may mean nothing. We jump back and Laurie's going off for the night. She's going to babysit over at Tommy's house. Annie's picking her up because she's babysitting at Lindsay's house across the street. Lindsay, played by Kyle Richards, who is now one of those real housewives, but did come back for the new uh, Halloween movies. So they're in the car smoking a little wacky tobacco, listening to uh, Don't Fear the Reaper. Cool, uh, You know, a little Don't Fear the Reaper. Well, maybe you should fear the car behind you because I love that right behind them is Michael. He's just driving along behind them. He's been waiting. He's probably been waiting all these hours, finally they're, they're, she leaves the house. He follows them, but he pulls off and stops because up ahead we see uh, Annie's dad. Annie's dad is, right? It was Annie's dad, right? He's Officer Brackett. He's the cop we see earlier, and there's an alarm going off. Now, again, I'm going to th- be a little critical here. There's an alarm going off. How long has this alarm been going off? Because he says, oh, you know, what happened, Dad? Oh, nothing big. You know, some some kids probably, they just stole some masks and some rope and some knives. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So someone stole a mask, rope, and knives. Now, okay, maybe it's a Halloween prank, or maybe it's someone who wants to kill and tie people up. I don't, I don't see Michael use the rope. We see him use the knife and maybe knives. And they said masks. So maybe he has some backup masks that he can use for future years. Mind you, he never quite finds the right mask again, does he? I mean, some of these masks are just ridiculous. And and there's a reason why I think of this. Because the first mask was turned into a Michael's My- Michael Myers mask. It's like, okay, we have this mask. Let's do this, do that, do that. Okay, now we have the mask. Going in the future, now they're like, okay, we need to make remake the Michael Myers mask. And now they're making Michael Myers masks. And some of them are just like awful. I can't wait to, um, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to revisit or visit for the first time some of these movies. Uh, but this one's still the first, still the best. And for some reason, Brackett's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone's uh, stealing, stealing knives, guns, you know, <laughs> not guns, just a bunch of bullets, guns, knives, a couple of grenades, no big deal. It's just a couple of kids with their pranking. But, I mean, someone steals uh, a mask, rope, and knives, and he doesn't have any problem, any any issue with it whatsoever. So, and But when did this happen? Because Michael was outside the school this morning, earlier in the day, with uh, staring at Laurie. He already had the mask. Now, I'm thinking, did he have the mask on when he was at the house? It seemed like... I feel like he did. I don't know if I went back. I, I feel like he might have had the mask at the house, but um, maybe my guess is um, that he that the store didn't open up till later, and they didn't realize things were stolen, so they set the alarm off to get the cops there. I don't know. I'm not sure at all. But Loomis is now there, 
and he's meeting up with Brackett, and he's trying to explain to him and warn him about Michael Myers. And what I love is at one point, um, Brackett leaves Michael Loomis alone, and you know they're talking about keeping their eyes open, and you see Michael Myers drive by right past him, right behind him. Loomis, if you just turn your head, you would have you would have done something. But once again, as usual, you do nothing. Drives right by him. So uh, Laurie's in the car now, and she's talking about going to this dance and how um, Annie's going to go to the dance, I think, with Paul. We never see Paul. In fact, Paul, we hear his voice at one point, but he never comes into play at, the, at all in this movie. Uh, but she mentions, Laurie mentions that she would love to go um, with Ben Tramer. Oh, Ben Tramer. Oh, Ben Tramer. At this point in this movie, Ben Tramer just seems to be, you know, a young man who goes off to have a wonderful, a wonderful life. Um, but that's just because we're just talking about this movie. So we hear Michael's theme. That's what I'm calling it. Michael's theme. There's all these cool little and dun, dun, dun. like you want to give John Carpenter credit for the, the, the theme to Halloween. That's great. And it's a classic and it's incredible and it's haunting and it's just right to the point. But all these other moments of music, and it's all him, right? He does all the music. I mean, it is just friggin' wonderful. Uh, but he's right behind them, again, as they're they're driving. And they pull right into one house. And, and you know, Laurie jumps out to go to Tommy's house. She pulls right across the street to, to Lindsay's house. And Michael's like, kidding me? They're all here on the same street. This is like shooting fish in a barrel or stabbing fish in a barrel. This is amazing. We actually see him, I think, when Annie gets to the house and people are like, good night, we're leaving. And they're leaving, they're leaving Lindsay with, with uh, Annie. He's just standing there. And what I think is actually, you know, again, you think, what the hell's going on here? But now it's Halloween night. So the, the fact that you're seeing a guy in a mask, and you think about it, okay. The whole day, you're seeing someone in a mask. You're just thinking, it's Halloween. It's Halloween. And this mask, even though we've never seen it before, it apparently is a mask you can buy at a hardware store in Haddonfield, Illinois. You know, the mask that means so much to us now that it's become an icon of horror was, uh, you know, in the, in the Haddonfield world, just a white mask. And even then, even when you're seeing the movie for the first time, you're just like, oh, that's the mask in that, you know, the, the white mask that that killer's wearing. Like, I wonder if at that point it even became, you know, such a, an icon that it is today. Probably. So we see Loomis and Brackett going to the Myers house. Uh, they go to check in and, okay, here's the thing. This is what I always wondered. And I brought this up in my other podcast. Uh, there's a dead dog there. The dog is still warm. And Loomis says, he got hungry. And my question is, is he hungry to kill? Or is he hungry to eat? Did he eat that dog? Or was did he just kill that dog? And he was he was satiating his hunger of to kill. But I mean, everybody's gotta eat, right? Michael Myers has to eat. So I'd like to think that he ate that delicious, delicious delicious dog. But I'm sure there are certain people out there that just think, no, no, no. He means, you know, he got hungry. He needed to eat. He needed to kill, not eat. He needed to kill to, to, 
his metaphoric appetite. Uh, then there's a there's a weird broken window jump scare for no reason at all. It's just something smashes the glass just to just to break the tension between Loomis and Brackett and um, uh, probably to get the audience to, to shit their pants. So I love when Loomis here, he talks about Michael, his first meeting of Michael. He says he had the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I almost want to say like a doll's eyes, but I'm getting Quint mixed up with Loomis. And I'm probably getting their voices mixed up. He had the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. He spent eight years trying to reach him and then seven years trying to keep him locked up. He is nothing but pure evil. He is evil. So this is where Loomis reaches his, the, the beginning of, the real peak of his ineptitude, I should say. Uh, he says, I think he'll come back here. So I'll wait here. And then the craziest thing ever happens. Brackett, the, the, the police officer, wants to alert radio and TV about what's going on. And Loomis is like, no, 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 you don't do that. If you do that, people will, be, will think he's everywhere. Just tell your men to keep their, their eyes open and their mouths shut. And um, the police officer is like, okay, doctor. I'm sorry. You're, you're listening to a doctor, Officer Brackett? This is the doctor you just met in your hometown. You're just like allowing the doctor to dictate things. And it's not the last time that he does that. Okay? So again, Loomis is now is like, well, he'll probably come back here, so I'll wait. I, I guess Donald Pleasance is already feeling old. I don't know. He's like, he comes back from multiple movies, but this time he's like, I'll just wait here. I'm sure I'm sure he'll show up eventually. Uh, he, he didn't have like a Rubik's Cube or a book or anything. He just sits there. We cut over to um, the Doyle residence, which is Tommy's house where Laurie is babysitting and Tommy has all these awesome comic books that he hides because his mother doesn't want them to read. But it's like Tarantula Man and Nuclear Man, all these different things. And I just like that this kid likes stories. Like Laurie was reading something to him. He's like, that's boring. I want you to read these stories. It's almost like he likes being scared. Um, and Because later on we see him watching The Thing. And of course The Thing is what John Carpenter remakes his next movie is a remake of The Thing. So I, I loved, it's almost like Pixar with that little Easter egg of, of future movies. So the phone rings at the Doyle residence and it's Annie calling over to Lori. Uh, and they're just talking about stuff, talking about boys and whatever. And Lester, the German shepherd, is barking at something outside. Something I would say is evil. And I love at some point, um, Tommy just sees Michael standing out there. Like, I wrote down, I love these visuals of just a lone figure standing, not running at you, not chasing you, just standing and staring. And then he's gone. Uh, but now he's right outside Annie's, uh, like the, the Lindsay's house. And he spills something on herself, quickly gets naked. And she's like, I need something. Um, I need to, uh, you know, I need a, a robe. I don't know if this got Michael excited, but again, remember the last time he, he saw a naked girl, didn't end well for the girl. So uh, clumsy Michael knocks over a plant, and then the dog comes up and starts barking, and this, this is the one that killed me. I hate this, because Michael, he didn't eat this dog. Maybe he does later, but he just strangles this dog. You hear the dog yelping, and, you know, as a, a dog dad, no kids of my own, just my wife and I, we have a dog, that killed me, and that 
shot of the dog slowly, its legs letting out. Now, I'm trying to figure out, that isn't not, like, they don't have the budget to make a realistic fake dog. That's a very real dog. So I'm guessing they just held the dog for a while until the dog stretched his legs out. But it also looked like they slowed down the footage. So maybe the dog, like, left his legs, and they're like, great, we got it, good. The guy was just hugging the dog. I'm sure the dog uh, is still fine. 45 years later, I'm sure the dog is doing great. So Tommy's spooked, um, and he he's trying to explain that he thinks he saw the boogeyman. And Laurie's like, well, what did he look like? And he's like, I don't know, he looked like the boogeyman. I'm thinking, Tommy, if you told her, she might have been like, wait, he's wearing a white mask and a jumpsuit? I saw that guy a couple times today. Oh my God, he's real. But she seems to have completely forgotten about the creepy stalker uh, and the fact that Tommy's seeing the same guy. But again, Tommy, you just got to speak up. He was asking Laurie about the boogeyman earlier because he said the boogeyman's going to... Lonnie said the boogeyman's going to get me. She's like, Lonnie can't even get out of the sixth grade. And I'm almost positive Lonnie comes back. We'll see Lonnie again in the future. We definitely will see Tommy a couple times. But Lonnie, yes, we will see. That name does come up again. Again, when I saw him, I thought, was that somebody? Let me go back. Oh, that's Lonnie. Okay. Hey, Lonnie, why don't you get your ass out of here? So the next kind of sequence of events really just ends with Michael's next kill, his second kill as an adult, his third overall kill, not a high kill count, which, again, a kill count in a movie just shows how bonkers the movie can be. When you start saying, well, wait, how many, how many people did, did he kill? Uh, and you f- I feel like that count's going to go up immensely in the future. I feel like Rob Zombie's going to make that kill count go through the roof. But in this movie, um, we have Judith when he was a child. We have the truck driver, we can only assume. And now um, the third one is right around the corner. Annie goes off to do the laundry. Now, for some reason, the laundry, I said, is in a faraway shed, but it it must have been a garage or something. Uh, Michael's, again, every shot is Michael just right there, then he's not there. Brilliant little teases that just, as, you know, the person in the movie isn't scared because they don't know what the hell is going on. They don't expect anything to go on. But as the viewer, you are freaking out like, oh, my God, turn around, will you please? Oh, don't go out there. Oh, don't do that. Like, all those things. This movie does this so well and so many times uh especially even in this like this sequence of scenes she locks herself in this in um in the in the room in the little shed i don't know how you can lock yourself in and then Lindsay gets a phone call from paul who's annie's boyfriend can you go get her she leaves the phone off the hook which i don't understand how he can call back later but she goes she gets him and i'm almost like oh good every annie's fine because Lindsay's there now because I'm starting to think maybe Michael won't kill little kids. Again, I, that might change in the future. Um, but they go back to the house. And again, we see Michael in the door again. He's there. He's not there. It is just so well done. She's like, okay, I'm going to go pick up my boyfriend, Paul. I need to bring you over to with Tommy. You want to go? She's like, I don't want to go. You want to go across the street and watch TV with Tommy? Yes. Tommy and her are friends. She drops her off, tells Lori, I'll be back later. I'm going to get Paul. She goes back to the car, goes back to the garage, goes in the car. And I love it. I love this little, it's not, it's not instant. It's this little tease right before 
she notices something's up and you're like, oh, snap. And that's exactly what people did in 1978. They went, oh, snap, because she gets in the car and she's like, why are the windows all fogged up? And before she thinks, wait, is someone else in here? Boom. Michael gets behind her, chokes her, kills her. She puts her head on the horn. She's got a weird like choke face, like, oh, like real kind of silly, but boom, dead. Uh, the horn's going for a little bit, but he must have taken her head off the, the horn. And there is Michael Myers' third kill of the movie. And um, we're, we're more than halfway over his his full kill count. But I, but I think you knew that already. You knew that already. This is not an AMCR, AMCR ASMR, whatever. I'm not going to whisper to creep you guys out. So um, we're in the house back in Tommy's house with Lindsay. He goes behind, this is kind of awesome because he goes behind a, a window, uh, shade curtain, whatever the hell you call it to, he wants to scare Lindsay. So while he's staying there, he kind of turns his head and he sees Michael just casually carrying Annie's corpse from the garage into the house. Now he's scared shitless. And guess what? He should be, he's freaking out. Laurie's like, what, what are you doing? What are you, what are you, what's going on here? She doesn't listen to him at all. Uh, and I was like, if Laurie listened to Tommy, maybe once we, you know, we would, we, we'd probably be out of four decades of sequels, but so many lives would be saved. Um, and, but Lindsay's like, I believe you. I believe you. We cut back to the Myers house and we see those prick bullies who were bullying, uh, um, what's his name? Tommy earlier in the movie. And, Loomis scares him. That's when he's like, Lonnie, why don't you get your ass out of here? Or something like that. And Loomis is like, hey, hey, hey. Okay, now I'll just sit here and wait. Because remember, Loomis is doing nothing. He's sitting at an empty house while Michael is off killing horny teenagers. Okay? You know, he he tells, I think he tells the officer again, you know, I'm, um, he says something about, you know, oh, they, they made it up again. He's like, I'm going to stay here. Uh, because I really think he's coming home. You know, he's been waiting. He's planning for this night his whole life. And the the uh, the cop is like, if you're right, damn you for letting him go. I want to be like, um, officer, he broke out of the hospital and stole the car. He, Loomis didn't let him go. He's not doing much now, but I can't blame him for what happened then. So... Now that Annie's dead, we don't ever meet Paul. We never see Paul again. He doesn't even call back. He called back in the house earlier after Lindsay and her got back in the house and she was going to go pick him up. But she never makes it because she's dead now. And we never um, hear from him again. Like he doesn't call. Hey, call back. Maybe call the Doyle house. Look up Doyle in the, in the, in the, in the white pages. Hey, Lori, uh, have you heard from Annie? Well, I thought Annie was coming to see you. And, you know, it actually, it benefits her. Why would she put the car in the garage? But it makes sense in the movie world because if she parked her car on the street, Lori would see that it was still there and it never left. And since she parked it in the car, in the garage, for some reason, uh, it kind of, it, it makes sense that why she doesn't see it or why she doesn't realize that Lori, that Annie never left. So we see, um, we see Bob and Linda. Linda comes back with Bob. Bob's the dude with the glasses. They're in a van. 
they're ready, they're super horny, and they're like, let's tear each other's clothes off. And then I think they said, and they're, then they're going to rip off Lindsay's clothes. Now, I believe Lindsay is nine years old or so in this, so Bob, you're an effing creep. But the house is empty, except for Annie's dead body uh, and Annie's killer, and they're ready to, you know, make sex. So Laurie sees the van across the street, and she thinks everybody's having a good time tonight but her. But she gets a phone call, and it's Linda calling over to find out uh, if the house is empty. Or that she finds out the house is empty. She's like, oh, Annie must have gone off to get Paul. Where's Lindsay? Lindsay's with us. Oh, she's with you. And they realize, uh-oh, the house is empty. So now they're going to head down to Bang City where they're going to have sex. da 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 So they go up into the bedroom. And for some reason, there's a lit jack-o'-lantern in this bedroom. We're leaving our child with a, with a teenage babysitter and a lit candle in our bedroom. I'm sure it'll be fine. But here's the thing. I was like, why would they do this? Now, when I po- when I did this podcast last year with my friends, one of them said, well, Michael put the candle, the, the, the jack-o'-lantern there. Like, he clearly did that. And I'm thinking, it didn't make sense to me that he would do that, but maybe he did. Maybe he did. Maybe that was a warning. Because it is just weirdly out of place. Why is there a lit jack-o'-lantern in the, the bedroom? Maybe he was trying to set things up, to set the scene later for what he uses the bedroom for. And uh, it isn't what Bob and Linda use it for. They use it for a quick, quick uh, um, session of, of, of coitus. But we do see that creepo Michael's shadow go by. And um, so he's obviously watching them going, oh, my goodness. That's what they were doing? That's what I killed my sister over? Oh, it's not that such a big of a deal. Uh, so, but after they're done... A glass, I called him glasses because I didn't know his name, but Bob, he's like, he goes off to get a beer and he says, I'll be right back. And I'm thinking, this is it, right? This is the scene from Scream, right? Where, where, what's his name? Randy says, I'll be right back. Like it's, he's like, you don't ever say I'll be right back. But he goes down to the kitchen to get a beer and I wrote down, Bob's death is the worst. Now, I think I said that because it's just so, like, clumsy. Like, Michael just slams out this guy. This kid has no idea what's coming. And boom, without a moment, Michael lifts them up because he's got massive strength, chokes him, you know, he's choking him, holds him up against the wall, and then slams the knife into, um, right into Bob to the point where it holds him up. Now, and then Michael turns his head that gives a little like, I'm an innocent little boy and I just killed you. Like he's admiring his own work. But that knife is not that big. You need a goddamn sword to keep Bob up. And I don't even think that would keep Bob up on the wall. His body would slide down it. It is a great, great visual, but terrible physics. How they they got that that body to hang up there on the knife by a knife. Um... And it's, it's crazy that Michael's most memorable kill in this movie is not even, like, in his mask, or at least you don't see his mask. At first, I thought he had to take his mask off to get the glasses to work in his little prank. But um, we see later he is wearing the mask. So after Bob is dead, um, that's his fourth kill. And coming up is his last kill of, of this movie. Linda sees him and he's just in, it's such a great visual. We see the sheet and we see Bob's glasses. Everybody 
like there's no reason in the world why Linda wouldn't think that's Bob. There's absolutely zero reason because she didn't hear any struggles. She didn't hear any screams, nothing. Then all of a sudden this big dude, because Bob's a big guy, comes upstairs wearing those glasses. It is such, that's what makes it so genius is she has no idea. She has no reason to be afraid. But everybody watching is like, oh my God, no, 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 no. Oh God, oh no. She gets, she calls over to Lori, starts talking with her. And then you just see the sheet getting closer behind her. And then boom, starts choking her. And this is kind of silly where she's choking her to the point where Laurie thinks she's she's having orgasms over the phone and moaning and stuff. But um, Michael just chokes her out and then he grabs the phone and he breathes into it a little bit. And Laurie's like, what the hell is going on? Because at first she was like, hello, Linda, Linda. And she's she's starting to get a little spooked out herself. And I look down at this point and there's only 20 minutes left in the movie. So it's a lot of like slow burn to then get to like something, you know, like the craziness starts to to pick up a little. So Laurie's a little nervous. She's like, what's going on? She dials up Annie's house. It just keeps ringing and ringing. And uh, I wrote, there's only 20 minutes left. I love a tight movie with no wasted moments, especially all the moments that Loomis has been wasting and waiting and sitting on his hands, not doing a thing while all these teens are getting murdered. Now, he's sitting there. I, I wanted to be like the cameraman said, hey, hey, Loomis, turn around. What's that? What is that? What is he doing over here? He turns around and he's like, well, what's this? He finally notices, not far from his house, from the Myers' house, turns around and he sees the car. He sees the car that he drove in. He's like, wait, how long have I been here? What have I been doing all night? And he sees the he's like, uh-oh, something's up. We jump back to Lori. She's worried, and she wants to go over to see what's up. So she starts walking over across the street now again. We're like, oh, my God, what are you doing? At this point in movies, were there, like, like I wonder in the movie, did people assume she'd live? Was, was she the first, quote-unquote, final girl, you know? She has to be the most famous, if not the first. And like, I wonder if in the movie at this time you think, oh, she has to live. Or do you think, oh my God, she's going to die and those kids live. Like maybe you didn't think that back then. I don't know. There's a certain formula now where you assume someone's going to be the victor and you, you, maybe you try to figure out who it is or you can identify them pretty, pretty easily. Um, But she goes over and nobody's answering the door where Annie is babysitting and Bob and Linda are supposedly there too. And poor Paul, no one knows the hell he's doing, but Laurie's like, what is going on here? So she goes inside the dark house and starts going upstairs. And I'm like, Oh my God, Laurie, don't do that. There's no reason to do that. But she gets to the top of these stairs and there's a light on in the bedroom and she goes and checks it, and you see the, you see the door open, and you see her looking first. Then it cuts over, and you see Annie's body laying out on the bed with the stolen Judith Myers headstone right at the top of the bed. And there's that jack-o'-lantern still burning, and that's where I'm like, was that there for this to create this whole scene? And now I'm thinking, is there a jack-o'-lantern in Judith Myers' bedroom as a kid? I don't remember there being one, but it is such a stunning 
frightening shot. It is, it is beautiful in its, you know, in its horror, in its horrificness. Is horrificness a word? If it isn't, I just made it one. Uh, and then all of a sudden, boom, now it's time for shit to go down. Bob's body just swings in. I don't know how it got there. It doesn't make any sense. Who cares? His body swings down. She freaks out. She, she goes through a door, opens another thing. And you see Linda with, again, crazy eyes. Like these girls, one thing they didn't realize was how, how do I, how do I make a dead face? Linda's face is like all over the place, uh, but she's dead too. And then, um, maybe I, 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 I wrote down, maybe this is the best shot of the movie. There's like a few shots at the, in, in this movie that I feel like the, are the best ones. This is one of them where Laurie's freaking out and then out of the black in the background, you just see the beginning, the emerging of the pale mask as it comes through the darkness. And it's just one of the most amazing shots. That's when I think he stabs at her, but he does a really weak stab. Laurie's now, boom, on the run, trying to escape. Uh, and she she locks herself in. Michael smashes through a, through a door, but I love that he never runs. He never rushes. He's cool, calm, and collective as he, go, as he goes to try to kill. Laurie gets out of the house. She's screaming, goes to the neighbor right next door, and the neighbor's like, yeah, I don't want to bother you, you to bother me. Closes her blinds. It's like three people are dead next door. I hope this person in this house finds out what happens and just lives a terrible, resentful, guilt-filled, regretful, just shitty life for the rest of her life. Uh, but she runs over, and she's screaming, um, My, Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. And Michael's just walking over, slowly walking over. She's like, Tommy, Tommy, let me in. She's screaming, and Tommy's like, oh, what's the big idea? He's taking his sweet time to finally open the door. He gets the door open, and they run in. She's like, you run upstairs right now. And now he's freaking out. It's like, what, what? Run upstairs with Lindsay, lock the door. But there's a window open. And she's like, oh, no. And Michael's right there standing over him or standing over her like as she's sitting at the, at the couch. Boom, takes the sewing needle, jabs it right into his neck. Uh, and oh, I'm like, good, finally she killed him. It's over. And now she has the knife. And she throws the knife on the ground. <sighs> Why? Why? Why did she do that? So now the cop is driving along. She find, he finds Loomis, who tells him, he's already here. He's here. I saw his car. He's here. You go around the back of the houses, and I'll, I'll uh, go around the front. And the cop's like, okay. Like, again, you're listening to this doctor? So Laurie thinks it's over. She's like, oh. She goes up to see the kids, and she's, Tommy's like, was that the, was that the, uh, the, the uh, boogeyman? You can't, you can't kill the boogeyman. And she's like, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. But he starts walking up the stairs. They freak out. They close the door again. Uh, she goes into the other room. He doesn't go after the kids. Again, the guy has a code. People got to have a code. He, she opens the window, uses that to pretend that you jumped out the window. He doesn't fall for that at all. Locks herself in the closet. He, try, he smashes through. He breaks in. This is when she takes the wire hanger and she stabs him in the eye. He drops the knife. She stabs him again, like, oh, thank goodness, he's finally dead. Phew, it's over. She gets out of the closet, goes over to see the kids, say, you know what, it's fine. You need to go now. Get out of the house, go down to the McKenzie's, have them call the police. I don't know why she doesn't go with them, but she says, go. 
go, go. So the kids run up, and she sits there and goes, oh, man, it was crazy. And then we get the maybe the most epic shot. I love the shot of him emerging from the darkness. But this shot, this epic shot of it's quiet as hell, not a, not a peep, and you see him sit up very, very stiffly and turn his head. Very, like just no, no, no fluidness, no like, he doesn't look like an athlete, he just looks like this stiff monster and turns his head. And we're like, oh no. The kids run, got out of the house and thank God Tommy, they just start screaming, ah. Of course, Loomis just happens to be there. This is the only time Loomis does anything right. He shows up, he sees the kids are freaking out and he's like, huh, hmm. He gets, um, he he goes into the house and he sees Michael get up and get to Laurie again as, as he comes into the house. Now, he, this is, they're finally fighting. She grabs the mask. She takes the mask off. He's like, oh, I'm hideous. I don't know why he sounds like Dracula. He puts the mask back on just as Loomis is like, I'm here. Bam. And he shoots her. And um, he shoots him again. Four, one, two, three, four more times. Five more times. Doesn't she, he shoot him six times? Six times. Wasn't it six times? Um, I forgot to mention before when Laurie escaped the house, she had to like jump out a window down a flight of stairs, but she got away. This time, boom, Loomis, bang, bang, bang. And Michael stumbles back, stumbles back, falls over, and uh, he's out the window, and Laurie's safe. And she's like, was, was that the boogeyman? And he says, as a matter of fact, it was. But if I was Laurie, I would have been like, who the hell are you? And where did you come from? And, oh, were you here looking for him? That's great. How lucky am I? I, I you know, I, what did you just get? You just got here in time. Well, actually, I've been here all day. What? You've been here all day? I thought he'd go to the Myers house. What kind of cop are you? Oh, I'm not a cop. Then he looks right into the camera and he says, I'm the doctor. And credits roll. But that's not what happens. Michael falls out the window into the yard. She says, was that the boogeyman? He says, as a matter of fact, it was. Loomis goes back to look for him, and he's gone. He's gone. The music hits, and he's gone. Laurie starts crying. I don't know why. She's probably from the emotion. It's not because he's missing. I used to think she's crying because now he knows he's, he's still out there. But she doesn't know that because Loomis doesn't say a thing. Here's the thing that I think is amazing. When I was a kid, I used to think it was, he's crying, and then the movie ends. But that's not what happens. He's crying, and then it shows all these different spots in Haddonfield. And I love, love, love this so much because, and, and you hear his breathing. And it just means he's still out there and he could be there or he could be there. He could be anywhere. You don't know that. And the movie ends so very open-ended. And I think it makes it so much scarier because you're leaving your house and you're like, well, he's still out there. They didn't catch him. The bad guy wasn't caught and killed. There was no justice. Uh, the one girl got saved by the doctor who was doing crap for the most of the day. And the killer is still out there. Now, if this never ended, if this, I mean, if this was the end, it just would have been one of those in, immensely incredible, like open-ended, oh my God, Michael Myers was never seen from again. Or caught again, but obviously we know um, that it just kicked off from there. Now I'm wondering, was it 
intended to just be like, scare the hell out of you. He's still out there. I think that's probably what it was because, again, you're making an independent movie. You can't expect that you're going to be like, okay, now we have a franchise of mine. And I don't know the uh, full story of how much John Carpenter was or wasn't involved in future movies. Did he produce them? I know his music was used in a lot of them. I know he was involved with some of the newer ones in different ways. So I'm I'm interested to relearn, because I'm sure I've read about these things before, but I'm interested to find out more about these in the future. But what an incredible, scary, awesome ending that is just without any, just a couple gunshots, an empty, uh, he, uh, he falls, you look, it's empty, and it's just like, uh-oh, now what? And that's how Halloween's 1978, the original Halloween, ends. And not to be confused with the 2022 Halloween ends. Uh, but that is how our first movie ends, and this is how our first episode ends. Folks, thank you so much for giving this podcast a try. Uh, I hope that you go to fansonexperts.com and check out all the other podcasts uh, we have to offer. And I hope you stick around with Slash for the foreseeable future as we delve into every film in the Halloween franchise. Yes, every single one. And I wonder if you know the three that I haven't seen yet. Um, they're not, they might not be the three, you, they, you might be thinking two specifically that go together, uh, but that's not true. Um, but we'll get there. We'll get there over the, the, the next many, many weeks. Um, but right now we're still going to be kind of technically in 1978 as next time we'll be talking about Halloween 2 from 1981, even though technically in the movie timeline, it is the same night. I think it picks up almost exactly where we leave off in Halloween 1. Halloween 1. And I remember thinking, well, these are the two good ones when I was a kid, but I don't know how good Halloween 2 is. I don't know how it how it fits in the world of Halloween or like even in the film vernacular. Is this a drastically different movie? I remember a lot of it taking place in a hospital. I remember old poor Ben Tramer. I'm looking forward to it. And I, uh, I can't wait to rewatch it for the first time in a long time. And I can't wait to talk about it with you next Friday. And yeah, that's Friday the 13th. You think, Mike, obviously you would have done Friday the 13th first. Yeah, you know what? I didn't plan it out correctly, did I? Uh, but that's okay. I didn't know there was a Friday the 13th until I looked at January calendar and I thought, oh, well, oops, who, who cares? It doesn't really matter. The most important thing is that you come back on Friday the 13th for Halloween part two. And you're going to also notice uh, that it, towards the end of my podcast episodes, there is an incredible amount of rambling that you're like, this guy is still talking. There's no one else there. He's talking to himself this long. So that's when I usually say, okay, it's time to go. So I want to thank you guys again for, for finding the show, for listening to it, and I hope you subscribe and tell at least 11 good friends and then maybe like four people you just kind of like. Um, if you just happened upon this from a tweet, you can find links to the Apple uh, or Spotify, uh, subs how to subscribe, over at fansnotexperts.com forward slash 
slash. I never say forward slash when I say websites, but now that the website address has the word slash in it, I feel like I have to say that. So I'm thinking maybe that wasn't the wisest choice of a name, but I just love it. I love it so much. So go to fans.expert forward slash slash to find um, subscription, you know, how to subscribe. Uh, but again, if you just go to, um, if you just go find slash horror on on Apple or Spotify, it's there. Uh, and if you follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Mentality and follow the show on Twitter at slash horror, you'll always see links uh, to future episodes whenever they come out. But it's easiest to just smash that follow or subscribe and you get these episodes right in your ears right away. And you don't have to wait. You'd be like, well, what the hell happened in Halloween 3 Season of the Witch? I don't know because I didn't subscribe. Then you blame yourself. And I don't want to blame you because you are the listener. So if you want to reach out, again, you can you can contact me through Twitter at slash horror. You can email slash at fansnotexperts.com. Or you can even leave a voicemail message. There's an easy way to do it. It's it's not through a phone call. It's right through the app. You it's you can do it right through your phone, through a browser. Uh, there is a link to that in the show notes. Or if you go to fans.experts.com slash slash, there's a link to leave a message in every, uh, in every episode. This being the first one, I just want to thank you for giving this show a try. I am really glad that I'm doing this, and I can't wait to... Uh, to talk horror with you guys going forward. So until next time, thanks again for listening. And remember, it's fun to be scared. That's not experts.